We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the CRM Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management, archaeology, and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 182 for January 29th, 2020. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk about wage discrimination in CRM. So check your salary requirements because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Doug in Scotland. Hello. And Stephen in Calgary. Hello. And Heather will join us in uh, one of the other segments, so we'll bring her in at that point. So, all right, we've got a guest today for the first time in, uh, quite frankly, I don't even know when. <laughs> I don't remember the last time we had a guest on the show. Quite a while. Quite a while, yeah. So uh, we've had a lot to talk about. There's been a lot going on, and we've got a lot more to, to continue talking about and go from there. I want to make a, a quick plug for the last episode that we did, episode number 181. We talked about some pretty serious stuff in the end there because of some events that have happened personally to some people at the APN. And I just want to say, you know, go back and listen to that episode. And if you don't, there are some resources in the show notes if you're having a, a difficult time um, just emotionally and you want somebody to talk to. And you can always talk to myself. And I'm sure the others would either talk to you or, you know, direct you to someplace where you can get some help. So I want to make that a point because it's a it's a tough time for CRM archaeologists right now because a lot of them are unemployed and running out of funds being wintertime and looking to start that struggle all over again, finding jobs and, you know, working job to job. So and that's kind of I want to say kind of, but we're talking sort of about that today <laughs> a little bit in a way. So uh, Sarah has joined us. Sarah, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So why don't you just start by telling us what we're talking about here? Tell us your story and what brought you to our attention so we can frame this conversation. Yeah, so I've been doing CRM now since 2011. Mm -hmm. um, I've worked all over the country and in in the UK as well. So I've had experience with a lot of different companies and more and more, it's come to my attention how unequal the pay rates are between women and men techs, especially when they're doing the exact same job. Mm -hmm. And so that's happened to me a number of times, I would say. And um, I guess I didn't really have the resources until recently to address it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, go ahead and just tell us, tell us what happened. Tell us your story. Yeah, so I was working with a company for something else since 2014, and you know I had a good reputation, and I worked with a lot of people, and you know it was sort of a standard that other people were getting 25 if they had five years of experience. Mm -hmm. So you know I pointed this out several times, and like um, a lot of these people didn't even have degrees, which is fine, but you know I, I do have a degree, so I would think that would give me some, you know, extra extra you know weight to get a promotion or a raise and I, I kind of had to fight for years and years and years and the response I kept getting is well we don't I don't have time to come see you perform the tasks you say you can do on your resume in the field so therefore I, can, I don't know if you can actually do what's on your resume hmm. so I can't promote you to 25 which is ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. So basically I, I, especially when I knew that there were men being paid, um, starting at $28 an hour off their resumes, which were not that great. Mm -hmm. I know I have more experience than these people, you know, and I was making 22 and these people were making 28. Yeah. Okay. So it was, it was a bit frustrating. So I reported it to, to HR. Obviously I was pretty upset, mm -hmm. you know, and, and there was a series of other problems going on with this company. Very just, I would say bro centric clownery. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was just generally kind of getting sick of it. And the HR department essentially went directly to cultural and told them what I was doing. And they, they slowly started pushing me out of work. 
as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was really stressful, you know, and um, I have a lot of anxiety, you know, I have OCD and I was felt like I was getting discriminated for that as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I just stopped working for them. I, I work for a better company now, but um, they continued to charge me for insurance, <laughs> oh, wow. for health insurance, even though I hadn't worked for them the majority of 2019. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were going to make me pay those premiums. And I just found this out the other day. And so I went to the HR lady. I was like, why, why is this happening? And she basically said with a really gross smile on her face, oh, I'd be happy to explain it to you. And that's when I just kind of lost my shit on her and said, you shouldn't be happy about this at all. Like, you know, the situation, like, you know how I got forced out of the company and now you guys are trying to charge me. Like, especially when I was getting paid more than 22% less than men with less experience doing the same job. Mm -hmm. And I essentially said, I'm, I'm concerned we're in, you know, violation of the equal pay act. So, Mm -hmm. um, I also, they also have a hotline now. So I really encourage anyone, if you're having HR problems, use, use whatever hotline they have, because that seemed to get their butts in motion. And I got an email promptly back saying they'd cover all the costs if I didn't take the matter further. Oh, okay. So that to me is a pretty good admission of guilt. And it's just, I don't know, like it's, I basically found a way of saying like, you know, women need to ask each other more what what we're making we we're kind of made to feel like we can't do that like that's impolite but i think if people started asking each other more and finding out and you know taking the right routes because you can't always trust your trust your hr department if you're as needed like you just can't mm-hmm. so i know my wife and i went to a project in utah back in i don't know what it was 2007 2008 something like that And we had several years of experience. I mean, not a crazy amount of experience and actually zero experience in Utah for that matter. But uh, this was our first project there. And but we did have, you know, desert survey experience. So it wasn't really our our first time in that environment. And we found out just for conversations with our crew chief, because this happens in the field. I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I'm sure this is how you found out as well. But, you know, people talk and and we found out that this one guy (laughs) was getting paid, who, again, also was the only person on the crew who didn't have a degree. He actually um, didn't go to college at all, which sure, if that's legal in that area and for that time for that area. I mean, that's up to the company to decide who they hire. But he got the job um, partly because his mom, who is a qualified, um, you know, well-qualified archaeologist, was also on the project, but he was traveling around with her. He was in his early 20s. He gets on this project and, you know, he started at a higher rate than we did. And we again, we found this out through just conversations out in the field. And I actually went and uh, I went and complained because they started us. They said there was a pay range and they started us at the bottom of that pay scale. And I think it's because we had just come from the East Coast and they thought, well, these East Coasters, you know, they can uh, we can charge them anything we want. So, yeah, yeah, you know, it happens. My question to you is, do you know of any other women or men, for that matter, that were getting a lower pay than they deserved based on their qualifications? Or was this uh uh, I, I don't know. I just, let's start with that. Do you know of anybody else that this was happening to? Did you guys have a conversation about that? Um, it was primarily me and other women. It was like, there was a, a paleontologist who had tons of experience, you know, and they wouldn't raise her over 22. You mm-hmm. know, she had a master's degree. So it was pretty poignant that it was, it was a problem within the culture of the company. But also I've worked with another company that no longer exists. (laughs) Funny. (laughs) And it was a a woman who said, you know, for this survey, we're all paying you the same, Mm -hmm. you know, and I get there and I find out a dude from Georgia who has five years is right off the bat making 25. And, you know, I'm, I'm busting my ass on a, on a Trimble. So I'm actually doing more than just, you know, taking pretty Mm -hmm. photos on the survey. I mean, it's constant. It happens in in so many projects and it's just women are now 22% of the workforce. I don't think it's just a woman problem, but Mm -hmm. we're more, we're 52% of the workforce now and we make 22% on average less. And like, we wonder why, you know, and it's not, 
it's, it's, it's other women who are anthropologists and mid-manager levels who are, are willing to look like idealists, but they're screwing over other young women too. So I think we need to hold them responsible, but it's also not our job, but to hold employers responsible to treat us correctly. Yeah. It's, it shouldn't be, but unfortunately we have to. Well, you do have to speak up for yourself. And a lot of that to me is being like, you know, I've, I think a lot of women have trouble with that. I have for years because I don't want to lose my, you know, temporary project job. But Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, I found ways to speak about it and bring it up. I've been reading a book called Ask a Manager by Allison Green. Mm-hmm. And it goes through that. It goes through like how you can point out, you know, that like, hey, I'm concerned we are in violation of the Equal Pay Act. Can we address why so-and-so makes this much yet we have the same experience? Like, you know, there are ways to address it and not totally get yourself fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating. And thankfully now I'm working for a good company who you know, they're willing to pay me what I'm worth. Mm -hmm. So that's important. And I think, you know, there should be more transparency when we apply for jobs, we should start demanding that. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting thought too. I read something, uh, I read it in some sort of entrepreneurial book. I can't remember what it was years ago. And uh, there was a big company, a big Silicon Valley company that decided at some point to just post salaries on the wall and uh and just be a hundred percent transparent with what everybody from the person in the mailroom to the person at the top of the you know building was getting paid and at first there was quite a bit of controversy over it because people were upset that they weren't getting as much and you know blah 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 and uh but then after a while it all kind of settled down and everybody was like yeah okay i see what this person's getting i see what i'm getting and you know it it just kind of i guess it just kind of evened out and it became the norm you know because people finally understood and there wasn't that I don't know, there's still competition, but there wasn't that, you know, sort of, I don't want to say conspiracy, but sometimes there's conspiracy theories in the background that say, hey, I think everybody else is getting paid more than me, and but I don't actually have proof. And then there's just talking in the field. And unless you see somebody's pay stub, you don't actually know for sure. But this company, again, they worked it out. And I've been really transparent about that too. And the people I've hired, they all knew what they were getting paid. And in a couple of big projects I did, they all got paid basically the same because I had to, uh, because I had to do that <laughs> because of the contract. It was a military contract and they basically dictated yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yep. and that's just how it went. But I do feel as well that there should just be a formula and you should just take the things from the resume that, that go into the formula. And if there's a pay scale, like a range of, you know, $6 or something like that, whatever it is, that people should fall somewhere on that scale based on qualifications, um, education, experience, and and experience in that particular area as well, use in that particular, I guess, historical period, you know? So for example, if two people come to work for me here in Nevada and we're working on a historic mine site and one of them has 20 years of experience in the field, but no experience working on uh, mining features, which are very particular. You have to know how to describe those and what they're called. And then somebody else comes in with three years of experience, equivalent education, but that whole entire three years, they were working on historic mining sites. I'm going to be hard pressed not to pay them at a higher rate on the scale, on the pay scale, maybe not necessarily higher than the person with 20 years of experience, but you know, I, you, you have to have that formula. I'm not really sure how I would deal with that, but it's, it is worth different things to different employers. And, uh, and to be honest, that as an employer, people are going to try to find their way to pay everyone they can as little as possible because <laughs> that's the game the employer plays. The employee plays the game of yeah. trying to get as much as possible and the employer tries to pay them as little as possible. <laughs> and that's just business. Absolutely. But I mean, I don't know. I've noticed some other, other companies I've worked with, um, geology companies, actually, they have sort of, they, they have a transparent scale like that, but they also say, okay, if you want this much money, this is what you have to do. This is the experience you need to get. How can we get you this experience? Mm-hmm. Like, so I thought that was really interesting. And I know a lot of companies are starting to pick that up, but I mean, next job I get, I think I'm just going to be like, how, how can I guarantee transparency? Like, how can you guarantee that I won't, you know, be left by the wayside. And I think if we just, mm-hmm. cause I, I don't know about you, but every time I go to an interview, they're always like, do you have any questions for me? And I always have a million. And then in that second, I have none. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like that's a good one, but I mean, it's just, 
it's just generally like, I think we just have to be more annoying at our employers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know, but. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's annoying. You hit the nail on the head with the uh, interview question. I train, I had to do a webinar on getting a job in CRM and, uh, and I talked to people a lot about it. And one of the things I always say is go into the interview with questions of your own, have them written down. You know, if it's on the phone, great. If it's in person, that's one thing, have them written down and, and ask not only about be clear, what is the pay scale? What am I going to be getting paid? And if I'm not at the top of the pay scale, what do I need to do while I'm working for you to move up that pay scale? Because I'm interested in doing that as far as my self-preservation goes. And then, you know, ask other questions. What's the project? What's the thing, you know, so you can study and do stuff like that. So, you know, if there's anyone who's an employer listening as well, that actually, while Chris, you were raising the point that, you know, it is in the employer's interest to pay the least and it's in the employee's interest to get paid the most, um, there's also a risk management aspect to it. And that is that, you know, if you're not really keeping track of who you're paying, when and how, you could end up with lawsuits. Essentially, if, if you know, mm-hmm. if you run into the issue where you maybe not on purpose, but, you know, discriminating against a, diff, uh, a particular gender, um, it doesn't matter if it, you were doing that on purpose or not, it's still there. So, you know, if, if you're not keeping track and I, I don't know, I, I see it as mainly a risk thing. And then also, as you all the examples we've been discussing, everyone finds out eventually what everyone else makes. And then you run into this these issues where you, mm-hmm. you're destroying your workforce and basically they're sort of, it just leads to a lot of problems basically with, you know, people being like, well, wait, so-and-so is getting paid so much more and they suck. And, you know, it, it, but it happens. And then there's all sorts <laughs> of jealousy issues and there's talking in the background and all this stuff. Um, and really it should just be quite transparent because you should just be like, yeah, you know, this is what people are getting paid. It'll save you issues of potentially opening yourself up to a lawsuit later. Um, and it also makes sure that your workforce knows who's doing what. Mm-hmm. And I also like, especially for people who are just joining to the field, I'm sure we all have probably a half a dozen stories of like that student coming in and being like, okay, yes, yes. So I'd like 50,000 or 60,000 or 80,000 um, being a field tech or something. Cause they just have no idea mm-hmm. what, who gets paid for what and what their skills are worth. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, gosh, I, I'm pretty sure we all have those stories. Right. And you know, if you just were a bit more transparent, you would actually have people coming in with, realistic expectations. Your workforce is just going to work better. I think it's, it causes more problems than it's worth to try to sort of hide salaries as a way to try to minimize costs, increase profit. I, I don't see there actually being a really good cost, uh, cost benefit analysis to that, but that's just a personal opinion on my part. Okay. Well, got some things to say about that for sure, but let's take our first break and we'll come back on the other side and keep talking about this subject back in a second. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code CRMARC. Looking to expand your knowledge of x-rays and imaging in the archaeology field? Then check out An Introduction to Paleoradiography, a short online course offering professional training for archaeologists and affiliated disciplines. Created by archaeologist, radiographer, and lecturer James Elliott, the content of this course is based upon his research and teaching experience in higher education. It is approved by the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists as four hours of training. That's in the UK, for those of you that don't know. So don't miss out on this exciting opportunity for professional and personal development. For more information on pricing, and course structure, visit paleoimaging.com. That's P-A-L-E-O imaging.com. And look for the link in the show notes to this episode. 
Welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 182. And we are talking with Sarah about some wage discrimination issues and and transparency. And I think that really is the, the name of the game because Doug kind of nailed it and I alluded to it, but people are going to talk about what they make in the field. Eventually, if the project is long enough, people are going to talk about that. And uh, I think while that is... I think while that is kind of good that people know, I mean, it's good, obviously, if the company, it's better if the company is transparent and says, this is what everybody's making. Here are what you're measured against. Here is how we decided how much you're going to make. Like, here's the formula rather than just saying, oh, I know this person, so I'm going to pay them more and uh, something like that. Or they're a man. I'm not going to pay them more. That's even worse. You know, understand what the clear metric is for moving yourself up that pay scale, whether it's simply just time in the field um, or if there's other skills and things you can do that allow you to jump up that pay scale. And, and maybe in a lot of bigger companies, you can't just accomplish one thing on that list and say, okay, pay me more. A lot of times that has to come around at like an annual interview or something like that, uh, which is difficult for CRM archaeologists because how often are we at a job for, you know, a year? <laughs> but, uh, you know, a lot of times it's just whatever, you know, two months, three months, and then you're off to something else. So that makes it difficult to move up the pay scale. But maybe the next time you work for that company, you've got additional skills and abilities. And you could say, hey, last time I was working for you, I was making $25 an hour. And next time, you know, I feel like I've got more experience. It's been a year. I've done these things. And I think you should pay me this amount, right? Just come up with a number. And that, that's something that we don't do often enough. And Sarah, you were talking about that earlier is how we don't stand up for ourselves often enough, men or women, to be honest. And we, we don't go into the interview and say, listen, what is your range? Because Whenever I see something in a shovel buns post that says pay is commensurate with experience, it irritates the crap out of me because I want to know the range and I want to know who you're measuring that. I want to know how I'm being measured against somebody else. And I want to know how you decided to put me in this range and how I can move up. Those are very clear things that an employer should be able to tell you. And if they can't tell you that, then I got to say, go look for another job because they shouldn't be in business. They should be able to give you that me measurement and they should be able to tell you how you move up. Because if they think that pay is not a concern for people, which a, lo a lot of employers, they're like, you should just be happy you have a job. I know that's what they're thinking. And that's not really the case. You know, people, especially field techs, you know, are very concerned with what they're getting paid because it's our livelihood and we might not have this job in another few weeks and we have to go find another job. So we have to maximize every job that we're on. So to put this to a question, Sarah, how, again, with leaving particulars out, but how did you find out um, ultimately that you were getting paid less than people with equivalent experience? Because you would need two pieces of information. A, you would need to know how much they're getting paid and B, you'd need to see their resume. Um, or just talk to them and find out. But that's all kind of hearsay because people can say whatever they want to your face. Their resume is a completely different thing. So how did you find out ultimately that you were getting paid less? It was kind of obvious that this person had no idea what they were doing, you know? And I was making $6 an hour less and that was... It was like really bad. I mean, I was like, dude, you don't even have, you know, boots. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, he's... He, we have a person dressing up like an antiquitarian. I don't think the tribe likes that. Right. <laughs> like, it was a joke. It was, it was quite frankly a joke. And um, yeah, we knew he was making that much because mm, they were yeah. friends, you know, yeah. it was, it was all a group of boys making a lot of money and it was really obvious. You know, he said that's how much he made. Yeah. He told us. All right. Right. You know, and that, I mean, it, it was, yeah, that just, it was just like, at that point I was just like, I am so chapped. So yeah, eventually yeah, everyone does find out and everyone talks about it. And I yeah. do know he has zero experience because it was sad. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was scary actually, you know, when someone doesn't have water boots. Mm -hmm. I, I will say one thing, um, again, as somebody with a lot of experience and as an employer that if you're hiring somebody that you don't know, again, different from your experience, but just to put it out there, because there's there's always new people that are either in college right now looking to graduate in May and get into CRM, or maybe this is their first year, they're experiencing their first winter right now and, you know, jumping back into it. So um, I like to point this out is... I, I've worked for plenty of people. In fact, it's what prompted me to get my master's degree. I've worked for plenty of people that either A, had less experience or even had more experience, but were just really bad at their jobs. And But because of some yeah. numbers and things on their resume, they were either in a position over me or getting paid more than me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go get my master's degree and that'll solve all my problems. Um, it didn't, but <laughs> <laughs> there's always problems. <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, 
an employer can only hire somebody, you know, based on their resume and then based on references, if they call those and things like that and find out about them and then give them a certain pay scale. And then it's it's really up to everybody else to sort of police that, I think, and, you know, maybe bring it up to the crew chief or bring it up to the field director or PI or whatever the structure is at your company and say, hey, this person, you know, don't be a jerk about it, but this person needs some more experience. Like I, I worked for a crew uh, project manager that didn't know yeah. how to use a compass, right? Like she's <laughs> out there helping us do these things. She didn't know how to use a compass, you know, and we're like, seriously, is this who our, our leadership is? But that happens. And then the only thing you can hope is that they move on to another job. Yeah, it does. But instead of that happening, he was just kind of moved around like sort of like a rapey priest style, sort of like um, he was also involved in a lot of sexual harassment issues and he was still Hmm. getting paid and protected. So at that point, we kind of knew he had some sort of, you know, he was insulated in in his job and he he wasn't going to change his behavior and they weren't going to, you know. They were obviously paying this guy despite these issues. Sure. I'm curious, what do you think in your mind, in your ideal situation, uh, let's say you're an employer, um, what would your approach to be? What would your approach be to paying people fairly? You, let's say you're you're an employer and you've got four people on your crew, two are women, two are men. Some of them, uh, one of one each of the women and men have 20 years of experience and one each has three years of experience. But like in my example before, maybe a couple of them have, you know, more direct experience in that area. How do you, how do you think you would determine just out of curiosity um, how to pay them on a scale of say twenty two dollars an hour to twenty eight like twenty two to twenty eight bucks an hour how would how would you decide uh, a fair formula for how to pay those guys I've got my ideas on that but I'm always curious to hear what others are I think it's it seems pretty across the board if you have five years experience you get twenty five and then if it's all just a survey and we we all know how to survey it's you know we're all doing the same job like pay people the same for the same job especially if it's just like guest appearance survey like you know what this is you know you're Mm -hmm. not going to have a full-time job here so yeah here's what it is we're all paying you the same and then be truthful about that (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean that's that seems and i you know but you know and yeah if people want to argue for more or having more responsibilities and want to point that out and negotiate for more I, i don't think that would be a problem yeah. Yeah. That is um, something I struggle with is trying to determine what the top end of experience means. You know what I mean? Like everybody's experience is different, but I try to figure out five years is probably for a at a field tech level. Five years is a probably good, a pretty good top end level, right? If you've got five years of experience versus say 10 years of experience, it might all be one in the same. But when it comes up to say I'm hiring a crew chief or I'm hiring a project manager or something like that, or even a principal investigator, you know, the numbers, the years of experience that are like not a minimum for that job, but a top end of the pay scale, those there's going to be higher for those positions, but trying to figure out what the top end of the pay scale years of experience is, that's a sticky problem because you're right. Field survey is at the, at one time, at one point, Field surveys, I mean, you can just about teach anybody to do that properly, um, especially if they've got a good crew chief that can help them through different things like description and stuff like that. But it's not that difficult of a job, right, if you just do it. And, you know, even if you've never done it before, after a few days, you're probably pretty good at it. But it's tough, though, because if you do have somebody who has five years of experience, but you've got somebody also who's got 20 years of experience, how do you acknowledge that experience? How do you acknowledge that even though they're doing the exact same job? How do you acknowledge that experience? Or do you just say, we don't acknowledge it? You have five and that's the top end of the pay scale. Well, I'd say it's definitely acknowledgeable. Yeah. Is, is, is yeah. this the sort of thing where um, the person who has like 20 years of field experience gets paid less because they're a little bit more beat up and, and uh, <laughs> starts going back down? Yeah, that's my other question. They, they depreciate. Why are they still in CRM? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that, I mean, if they're still in CRM, they've got to be like bionic or something like that. So, you know, they're, they've got a fake hip, fake knees. Does experience matter? Uh, I mean, this is in, yes, I believe some experience does matter and makes you better, but does 20 years of experience make you that right. much better than if you had five or 18 months? And because, I mean, like, I've met some people who are just born natural archaeologists who are just really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I've met some who do have 20 years of experience and they're kind of 
Wait, we're not we're not we're not cussing on this um, yeah. uh, podcasting. Where are we, Chris? But yes, you, you know what you know what I'm saying. It, it, it has to do with um, excrement of um, cows or you know wherever you wherever animal you want there. But like, yeah, I, I'm not. I I do think that some people do get better with age, and it's great. But I do also think that like using a metric like years of anything, like years of being alive, years of experience, it can make you better, but it can also just be someone who's got 20 years of doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we all know those people who are set in their ways and they haven't, they haven't changed. And I'm not sure if you add adding, giving them another five years, I'm not sure it's going to make them any better at, mm-hmm. at doing their job or, any less of a jerk um, in their personality or anything, you know. Um, <laughs> and so I'm, I, I kind of question because I, 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 it does, it's, it's a weird one because, like, you know, as an employee, yeah, more experience. I'm, I'm better at doing my job now than I was five years ago or 10 years ago, or at least I think I am. Maybe I'm not. And, and for me, I want to be moving up and making more money and stuff. I'm not sure there's a, you know, a correlation between at least after a certain point, like it may just be mm-hmm. six months. Like once you've hit six months or a year of, of experience in archaeology, that might be as good as you get ever. I'm not sure. It could be different yeah. for different people. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on stuff like that? Well, that's, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Yeah. Well, now, now it seems like we're kind of hitting on that point where it's like, there are some really crusty archaeologists out there and, I think as a generally as a as a whole profession, we could get paid more if we didn't slip to the wayside like some of those folks, you know, and if we started, you know, some of them, I'm just like, man, you would be like a really good archaeologist if you didn't wear the same shirt every day for a month, like have some pride and self-respect, like, and I kind of feel like that's not really helped our industry and our pay scales, mm. like. It's almost like these people want to do cool archaeology, not good archaeology. And no, I don't think that experience necessarily requires a certain amount of money if you're just really bad at your job and everyone hates you. Of course, that's going to be reflected. And of course, as an employer, you're probably not going to have that person back. So regardless of what they're making and they convinced you, you know, their worth Mm -hmm. when they turn out not to be, you can just say goodbye forever. Hopefully, but I don't know. I'm not, I don't have experience in like firing someone. So. Yeah. I'd also just add like, it's a, I think it's one of the stroke uh, structural problems of CRM and archeology span in general is that we, we have a very hierarchical system. So if you want a permanent job, you can't really be a, a field tech, but the skill levels to manage people and get a permanent job and get paid more are completely different skills than what you do as a field tech or a lab tech or anything at the beginning and stuff. Um, and I do, I'm not sure if I have a solution for this, but I do find it one of the sort of great tragedies of, of archaeology or at least professional archaeology is that, you know, a hundred years ago we got into this mentality that archaeologists, there's people, there's people at the top who write the reports and get their names on everything. And then there's people at the bottom who do the digging um, and they're usually not treated that well. And we devalue the skills of people who are really good field techs. Because I, I am a firm believer, I'm not sure if years of experience makes you that much better, but there are some people who are easily worth two or three people in the field. Like if you have one or two of these people on your team, they can just move mm-hmm. so much quicker, get so much more done. And they actually have real skills. And then like in terms of quality, if you're not just measuring things like how quickly you can dig a shovel test pit, there are some people who are just, they spot things that I'll be completely honest. I will probably never be at their level as, as an archaeologist because they're just so good. And I do feel like we do have real problems um, acknowledging skills and being able to also explain those skills to other people as well as why someone actually mm-hmm. should be getting paid more than someone else. I just, it's sometimes I, th- I think you're right about that, Doug. Like, I think that we forget that we can't do archaeology without actual archaeologists in the field. 
like we are the product, you know, like we, the companies are making money three times as much as we are. Like we are the product. So I think that is sad that we're not being valued because you can't do archaeology without archaeologists. Like, and it is sad that all these people who are writing the reports and stuff, you know, are valued so much more than us because like, you know, sometimes they can't operate a compass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, as as we finish out this segment and this interview, my thoughts are, uh, Doug, you're right. Um, there are people that are just phenomenal. And, and Sarah, you're right. And everybody else is right, too. There are people that are just not right. They might look good on paper, but when they get them out into the field, they um, they don't perform. And I think the only thing you can do as an employer, if you don't check your references or maybe, you know, references are kind of BS anyway, because if somebody's smart, they're going to put people on the references. They're going to talk them up. So I don't put a lot of stock in those, but the only thing you can do as an employer is you can go off the resume. You can, you can stalk them on social media and LinkedIn, things like that. But then you hire them at a pay scale that is equivalent to the algorithm that you've set up based on their qualifications. Their, and to be honest, their years of experience has to come into play at that initial part. But then where that changes Everybody in the field, and Sarah, you've noticed this, everybody's noticed this, everybody in the field either shines or they don't. You can put people into three categories. They're either really bad, and that is evident really fast to everyone, or they're just there and you don't even notice them. They're just, you know, average, I I guess I would say, or they really excel. And everybody knows who those people are. Everybody could look around on their crew and put those, put everybody on the crew into one of those three categories. And as an employer, you need to be cognizant of that. And the people that are underperforming, if they're underperforming enough, you fire them. But if they're underperforming to the point where you just don't want to hire them again, then just don't hire them again. Right. And if they're, and if people that are average, you can keep them on, keep them at the same pay scale until a certain time period goes by then give them a cost of living increase. But then, uh, the, uh, the overachievers, and again, everybody knows who they are. They should make more money and it shouldn't be, shouldn't be determined by obviously their sex or anything like that, but they should make more money and it should be obvious. And people should know that, that listen, this person is amazing and they should make more money than me. <laughs> I've definitely worked for people like that. I've worked with people like that. People, people who worked for me that I thought were totally amazing and outshined, outshined me. I mean, as an employer, that doesn't mean I'm the best at the top. You know, I've got a lot to learn and it's just, it's obvious when somebody should be um, rewarded for what they're doing. And it's obvious for when somebody shouldn't. So anyway, we got to cut this segment off. So Sarah, thanks for coming on and telling your story. I, I think that it's important for people to stand up and speak out for themselves. And I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you said something and, and you've at least seen a little bit of, uh, reprise from that. And, and I'm glad that you're in a, a good place now. You know, I encourage everybody to go out and um, speak up for themselves because, hey, yeah, you might lose your job. But in the end, hopefully it's all worth it. And maybe if you do lose your job, there's a recourse there too, depending on what state you're in to pursue that further. So again, Sarah, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. So we will come back and wrap all this up with the hosts uh, in just a second. Stand by. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our Tee Public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. Welcome back. This is the final segment of the Sierra Mark podcast, episode 182. And our guest has gone, but um, I've brought back in Stephen and Doug and Heather has joined the show. Heather, how's it going? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. So uh, Heather's actually heard the interview, so we can have a, a conversation about this, but she wasn't able to participate in the interview. So let's just get everybody's thoughts on this. Um, what do we think? I mean, obviously, wage discrimination, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time talking about that because we all know that it's bad and we all know that it happens. But we need to come up with ways. I think the more important discussion here to have is is finding ways to empower people to say something about it, but to to find out about it in a way that is, um, I don't know, you, you got to really be careful when you're acting on things like this, because if it's mm-hmm. a lot of hearsay in the field, when people are talking about the, what right. they make and, and you're making presumptions about their experience without actually seeing their CV, just judging mm-hmm. their performance, which I think was a mistake that Sarah was making a little bit, uh, but that we've all made, to be honest, I've, I've done it lots of times. You just look at somebody's performance in a single two week period sure. and say, I know everything about this person's life and that's not true. <laughs> Maybe they're having an off project. I don't know, yeah. but, uh, 
Yeah. What are you guys' thoughts on this? And Heather, you're you're an employer. Um, oh. I mean, for the for your company, you make decisions like that. So, well, I have a few a few comments just on you know from the perspective of where I'm at and being an as needed consultant. For years, um, I know both sides of it. I know how frustrating it is. And mm-hmm. I know that, you know, you definitely have perceptions, just like you said, Chris, of how somebody is doing out in the field. And, you know, we all, uh, especially when you're dealing with people, it's not like you, you're showing up and it's an eight hour, you know, you're in at eight, you're out at 4.30. And uh, a lot of times it's not like that. The, the nature of our business means that we actually are kind of uh, a lot more open and exposed to the people that we work with because sometimes we're with them 24-7 for days on end. And so we see sides of people mm-hmm. that uh, you wouldn't normally see in a workplace. Um, it's also a more informal situation. You are physically taxed. And when some pe- some somebody's physically taxed, they do tend to sometimes be just a little bit more loose-lipped. And um, so, you know, I think that we need to take that in consideration. We also need, and something that I've been proponent of since I started, you know, joining you guys on the podcast um, and before that, is that we need to understand, you know, there were some perceptions I had when I was a consultant or a field tech only that I had no no idea why the decisions were being made that I was seeing. And now that I'm in the position I'm in, I realize why. And you know, there's just a few mm-hmm. points that I wanted to make is number one, when you're dealing with as needed employees, these are not salaries. And so a lot of times, as you had mentioned, Chris, that, you know, when you have government projects, you do have a, a specific uh, pay rate that you have to give the employees. I mean, it's just, it's right there. You don't have a choice. And so just by that alone, you know, that you have uh, employees, even when they're working for the same company are going to make, be making different amounts per hour per project. So that's one thing to think of. And that is not something that you're going to deal with if you are a salaried employee. Um, So then the other is, you know, depending, it's depending on the project formulas are difficult and it also needs to your, you know, your, the formula that you have also has to take into consideration that there are going to be some projects that you are a field tech and that's it. The crew supervisor has already been selected and that role requires a lot more skill set, a lot more um, responsibility, all things you may have. You may have the skill set they have, but you don't have the responsibility on this specific project. Therefore, you're not going to get paid the same. It's That's just the way it, that's the way it is in life and in, in any other any other job, generally, you get paid for the role that you're playing, or at least that's the way it should be. So, mm-hmm. you know, as far as who makes what, you know, there's a lot of bragging that goes out in the field. And just because they say they make that much does not mean that that's what they make. And um, as an employer, sure. I have actually seen employees saying things on online, so on social media, that they're making a certain amount and they're not making that. And I know they're not making that. So right. why they're saying that on social media So that's something to take into consideration as somebody who is not on that side of the fence to understand that just because somebody says they make something doesn't mean that that's what they're making. The other thing is, is that it's a privacy issue. I understand the transparent in California, we have something called transparent California. And if you work for a government entity, your salary is transparent. That's salary. That's not an as needed employee Mm -hmm. per hourly rate, but there are some privacy issues there. So you can't just put out what every single person makes individually. I do think that you can maybe have, you know, there's pay fee schedules that the companies have and this person, uh, this category makes this much and this category makes that much or a range, like you were saying, I think is fair, very fair. And the people move up. Um, that's the company that I work for. We do have certain categories of employees and, and the as needed schedule uh, as needed employees are included in that. Mm-hmm. And we have tech one, tech two, tech three, and it goes up from there. And the range is typically that range of pay changes based on, you know, the, the category that you're in. So I think that is something that, that needs to be considered. And then, you know, as far as, being able to prove experience on a resume, it's very difficult. I've seen a ton of puffed up resumes. Everybody puffs up their resume, but I'm like out and out lies. 
I've, I've seen that. And you sometimes you just don't find out until they're out in the field and you realize, okay, this guy definitely uh, doesn't know a trowel from a shovel. You know, sure. I'm exaggerating, but in California, at least, uh, by law, if you call a previous employer, it, it it's actually behooves them to only give the information of they started on this day and they ended on that day. It's actually a liability issue for them to explain or to say anything more than that. So when you are trying to verify employment, that's all you're going to get from people. You're not um, from previous employers. You're not going to get what they actually do. So like you said before, you do have to go by their performance in the, in the, um, in the field. And then as a supervisor, you know, I personally always trying to build the skill sets of not just the salaried and full-time employees, uh, full-time hourly employees, salaried employees, but uh, as needed that show an interest in wanting to improve their skill set. I do everything I can. If it just means a project where, you know, I want to make sure that they know how to work a tremble properly uh, so that I can add that to the notes that I have on that one employee, I can say, okay, this person does have this skill set. I've verified it in, in the field. So, you know, that my, I have a passion for working with employees and improving their skill sets. That's my most enjoyable part of my job. Really. I love being an Mm -hmm. archeologist, but I'm a real people person. I, even more than being an archeologist, I love working with people and helping, helping them improve professionally. So, but yeah. Just to wrap up my my initial points is, you know, it's also the re- employee's responsibility, uh, especially as an as needed. There are certain things that, you know, um, employers, especially with as needed, that we really de- that we really look at and value highly. And that's dependability, your skills, your professionalism out in the field. Your mm-hmm. natural skills, like Doug was mentioning, that's an excellent point because somebody can try really hard. And I'm, you know, I really believe that you can, with a lot of will and hard work, can catch up to people that have a natural skill set. But some people sure. just have that. They just have the mm-hmm. eye. And then lastly, continuing education. It's not enough to just keep going out in the field. You have to be studying. And at it, it, all levels in archaeology, mm-hmm. everybody should be studying and continue their education. So. Yeah. Well, maybe the RPA will make us do that. I'm uh, sorry to go on a rant, <laughs> but I wanted to That's a different discussion. catch up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no worries. Uh, that Those are all fantastic points. And I got a question about uh, about pay scales here in a second here, but let's, uh, let's let Doug chime in. Yeah, it was just a, a quick question on something you had said a little ways back. My understanding is pay is not not private information in that now it's been a while since I've worked in the States, but I'm pretty sure the laws are set up so that at a federal level, I believe that if you want to, you can disclose, you can definitely disclose your pay to any other people and you can ask fellow employees about their pay as the example, you know, to try to figure out discrimination of any sorts among pay levels I mean, that's sort of asking people and you being proactive, but I'm not sure if it's privileged information. So in a sense, if a company wanted to post everyone's pay, you know, what they make that year and stuff like that, I'm not sure if there's anything that prevents them. But again, I'm not as up on my HR law. So do you guys know anything about that, about privacy with um, individuals and you not being able to share their pay information. Um, I, I, I'm just not yeah. familiar with that. Well, I can, I can chime in just first off uh, from one thing I know is just from companies I've worked for, I'm not sure about the state laws and regulations around, you know, privately held companies and what they do, but I know that I've worked for companies that had it in their employee handbook that you wouldn't discuss pay and salary that you have. I've seen I've seen that in companies before. Now, I don't know if that's legal, but it was in the employee handbook that you sign when you start. So whether or not it's legal, you know, kind of gets to be a sticky area. That's not legal. Um, I'm pretty sure the National Labor Relations Board has ruled that that's not that's not legal. Like yeah. you can't you can't prevent people. Um, I forget which law it was, but I'm 
like 90% sure that you, you cannot prevent your employees from basically discussing pay because it's, it's under, I think it's under the general sort of unionizing um, laws and the ability to do different things like that. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true, but it might be dependent on state. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that's a federal mm-hmm. situation or um, on the state, but um, I, I seem to recall like uh, not necessarily in archaeology, but like jobs I had pretty early on um, when, when I was in school and stuff. Uh, the the employers would be like, uh, you know, you're going to make this much. Now, don't discuss this with the other employees. And, and that was they can't legally stop you. Um, I, I suppose if there's something like like an NDA or something like that, but uh, that was in Illinois. I don't know if that applies anywhere else. Yeah. I don't think that that is, that's not the point, or at least what I was mentioning. Um, I'm talking about supervisors uh, or companies disclosing another employee's pay rate. That's what I'm talking about. So whether one employee can talk to another employee, I don't think there's any control there. Then again, I'm not an HR expert, but I, I don't think anybody can control what you're saying uh, in the field as far as what you make. And then again, you know, I've seen a lot, I would say just as many people as tell the truth, don't tell the truth in the field when they talk about what they make. So that's not um, a good indicator. And that was why I was giving that caveat and make sure that people understand mm-hmm. just because they say they make that much does not mean that that's what they're making. It's kind of a status thing to them, a bragging thing to them. If anybody's if anybody is just out and out saying, this is what I make, uh, unless you are trying to figure something out and trying to make sure that things are fair and it doesn't, you know, if you're going one-on-one, but if people just blatantly are saying, I make this much in a bragging way, there's, you know, you, you should question it because it's not necessarily, why are they saying that? Why are they disclosing that? Now, my, my sticking point was as a supervisor, as an employee, as practice, I do not tell other people what another employee makes. What one I don't tell one employee what another employee makes. My understanding is that in some areas that is you you can't do that. It's privacy. But I might be wrong. I do think it's a good practice though, unless you mm-hmm. have a people walk into a business and they say they know, okay, this company, company ABC has a uh, approach that they are transparent with all with their entire fee structure, then, you know, that that's their approach. But, uh, as a, as a professional, I don't do that. I, I don't think it's appropriate to be talking about somebody else's mm-hmm. information that I have, that I'm privy to that most others aren't. And the reason I'm privy to it is because I'm in a role of, I have, a, I am in a role, a supervisory role. Yeah. The, like when, when I heard people, it was generally for the seasonals. It's like, I, I, I could tell, um, tell you that, uh, generally, uh, field techs make this much. If they have more experience with us, um, they, they get paid more, but I'm not necessarily giving you the exact amount for any given person. I, I, I feel like it's, it's not bad practice to say like the range for particular positions, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be like this person here is making Twenty-two dollars, or something like that. That that right. seems weird. And and why should an employer do that? One of the points that was made or was brought up in the past two um, sections was that time experience is important, and of course it's important. And that the field text should. It was almost insinuated that the field text should be valued or should be making as much as those that are writing the reports and and such and such, and. Um, I do take a little bit of, you know, I, I challenge that. So, you know, we've have we have certain people or that I've seen over over time that we have um, they have the same level of uh, education, the same level of experience, and yet this person, person A, is willing to take on a lot more responsibility. They're willing to take on a leadership role. They're willing to take on uh, longer hours. They're willing to take the on-call or the calling after hours type of um, tasks. And just for a small example, where 
uh, employee B is not willing to do that, even though she may have or he may have the same level of education, the same level of experience. They're just don't want to do that. Um, there are some people that don't want to have a managerial type role. And so therefore your money and what you get paid is going to be commensurate with the responsibility that you're going to take on. It's not just, you know, your education level. It's not just the amount of years that you've been working. It's not always even the amount of skills that you have. Mm -hmm. It is the role that you're playing at that time. And you get paid for what you, for what you're producing. And so does there, is there some disparity between people that's unfair in the field? Uh, yes, that happens. It happens in every, in, in every discipline. Unfortunately, it's not right. It's not fair. Life's not fair. Um, if it is illegal and it's done in an illegal manner, then absolutely it should be addressed. But we do have to look at the realities of, of hiring the realities of people's roles and what they're bringing to the company and the commensurate pay that goes along with that. Yeah. I should just say my comment earlier was just more blue sky thinking as in we set ourselves, archaeology was set up a very long time ago with a certain structure and we have to work inside that. And obviously people who write the reports, yeah, that's how we've set it up and they get paid more. Um, mine was more of a blue sky thinking sort of thing of, you know, what if you valued um, digging as much as writing reports. And it wasn't to devalue people who write reports because um, we've all seen some really, really bad reports and we've seen <laughs> some really good ones. And it is a skill in itself. And it was more just to say that um, if you were to rebuild archaeology, I think I'd probably do it with a different structure, less where you move up. And by moving up, you move out of maybe a potentially – good skill set you have. So in a sense of, you know, you can be a really good digger, but a really good digger does not make a good manager or it does not make a person who uh, can write and put together a really good report and vice versa. Being able to write and put together a good report does not make you very good in the field necessarily. Or there are people who can do both and are excellent at that as well. It was more to say that we've designed ourselves into a structure that I'm not sure works the best for what we would want, uh, but it is the structure we have. And um, you're completely right that, yeah, we've put people who write reports to have a lot more responsibility. And so they get paid more. I'm not sure, you know, that's the best way to do it, but it is the way we have it now. And it makes complete sense that, yeah, someone with more responsibility definitely gets uh, paid more. Okay. Well, on that note, this is a great discussion. Um, I think I would just encourage people to try not to gossip in the field. Not saying anybody was doing that, but try not to gossip in the field. Use the facts that you have. If you think you're getting paid less than somebody else, then the, the right way to do this is to, uh, well, if you think you're unjustly getting paid less than somebody else, let me say that because you might be justly getting paid less than somebody else. <laughs> but uh, if you think that's <laughs> happening unjustly, then the, the proper procedure is to go to your supervisors. Or if you don't feel like you can trust them, go to HR if there is an HR department. And if you don't feel like you can trust anybody in the company, then you need to move on to another company, quite frankly. I think I think definitely say something. I think that's what we've learned with this episode is speak up for yourself. Say something if you think you're being unjustly treated in any way, shape or form. And sometimes you might be right. And other times you might just have a big picture of what's going on. And sometimes you might be the underperformer and you don't realize it. <laughs> I mean, somebody <laughs> is. And, and that's just like, that's just a fact. But if you are, you know, you're going to get upset first off, but then say, Hey, what can I do to improve? Where, where am I lacking? You know, am I, Am I, do I have bad social personal skills? Do I not survey good enough? Do I miss stuff? Do I not know how to write? I mean, where can I improve and, and ask somebody that they may not know how to give you a good answer because we're not trained to do that, but at least ask. And if you want to improve, that's the only way you're going to do it. So, well, uh, thanks everybody for coming on and, uh, we will come back with a, another episode next time and we're getting pretty close to another anniversary too. So that's pretty exciting. All right. Um, I want to thank Sarah also for coming on and, and giving her piece for the first two segments. And, uh, and if anybody else wants to come on and, um, you know, be a guest on this show and talk about some issues in the field, then we welcome it.
That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Wow. I don't know if you guys are just delaying or if it's my lag. We're going to call it lag. We're totally blaming the lag. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Doug's lag is pretty severe right now. Oh, jeez. Transatlantic. Yeah, it's making its way through the pipes. Goodbye. Wow, that was such a nice goodbye, Doug. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>